Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I appreciate um, the, those of you that leave reviews on Apple and wherever you leave, wherever you listen to our podcast. You can't donate to this podcast. It's just a labor of love, but you can leave a review. And I appreciate those. I read those, and it helps more people connect with the content of these podcasts. And um, we don't have a lot of announcements on these podcasts, as you know. Every time, some once in a while, I listen to another podcast and I realize they do a lot more with announcements and music. And we just try to get right to the heart of the stories. That's kind of our sweet spot. And um, in my home today, as we're recording this, is my new friend, Josh Yordy. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Josh mentioned to me and felt an impression to share his story on the podcast. And I'll give you a little overview of the podcast, Josh's story, and then turn it over to Josh. Um, Josh grew up in Flagstaff, um, Arizona, which is one of my favorite places because it has very unique weather. And I'm a weather junkie, and so I've always been fascinated with the Flagstaff weather and get thunderstorms and snowstorms and all that cool stuff, but we're not going to talk about that. Josh served a mission um, in Fort Collins, and um, he will talk about why that mission ended early, his emotional health. And as part of that, he'll talk about his sexual orientation. He identifies as bisexual or queer. He'll talk about that. He'll talk about what he did after his mission um, and to improve his mental health, including working at the L.A. Temple. And um, this all happened in the last year. So September of 2021 is when Josh, his mission ended. So he's been about, we're recording this December, so that's roughly 14 months. Um, currently at Arizona State University. So even though he's in my home, he doesn't live in Utah, just here during the holiday season when we're recording this. Our prayer listeners, if um, this podcast will help you, if you're um, somewhere in the spectrum of queer, that perhaps Josh's story and his journey to understand his sexual orientation will help you. If you're a family or friend, hopefully Josh's story will help you. If you're a missionary, I think we're calling missionaries that um, are early release missionaries. I don't use that in shaming language. It's kind of factual language. Perhaps some of the things Josh shares as an early release missionary will help you if you're walking that road or of a friend or a ward member walking that road. Josh is active in the church, a testimony to the church, um, and continues to um, faithfully believe in the church. Is that okay for an introduction? That's perfect. Yes, thank so you very much. I'll let you start, Josh. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I would just like to echo what you said, Richard, about, um, like, I hope this helps people. I, that's why I'm here. Um, I hope I can kind of be, my story is very unique to me and is very individual. So of course, I don't want people to feel like this is how you should do it, or this is how things should be. Um, But I definitely do want to be kind of a place where people can see and know that they're not alone. So I guess I can start off with um, my mission. So I graduated high school in 2021. I was 18 and I really felt impressed to go on a mission. And I had dealt with some anxiety in high school, very minimal and very specific to like specific things like driving. And, um, and so I didn't really expect there to be a ton of anxiety on my mission. And I actually had felt kind of impressed that anxiety wouldn't be a huge thing on my mission, that I would be able to serve as the Lord intended and that I would be okay. And like, I wrote that down in my journal and everything. 
And I kind of embarked on this mission. And three days in, I was hit with the worst anxiety of my life, which was upsetting to say was the least. Was this in the MTC, Josh, or in Colorado? That was in Colorado because I did the home M- MTC. Yes. Okay. So I did at home MTC it, through the Mexico MTC. And um, that was a great experience. I had lots of fun doing that. Um, but when I left and w- ended up in the field, it was yeah the second or third day where I had uncontrollable anxiety. And before I had gone to therapy in the past to work through some like tools to use in response to anxiety but this was worse than it ever had been before and was totally unexpected. And so I immediately got on the phone with um, the mission nurse and the mission president's wife, actually. And they immediately put me on some medication, which I had never done before. I had not been medicated for anxiety. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Medication was something I wasn't very familiar with in the mental health world. But it helped at first. And then things got worse and I ended up really depressed. And this whole time we're going out and we're teaching people and we're out, you know, the full day and I'm, yeah, struggling to stay sane. Um, But the main thing for me the first week or so of my mission was that I could not eat, which is an anxiety response, but something that I had not dealt with in the past. And especially in a Spanish speaking mission where food is such an important part of that culture. I had a really hard time fitting in as a missionary. And so I had, I lost 15 pounds in five days, which is not healthy. And I was vomiting every morning, at least three times. Like it was, I was at my worst and I would get better and then get worse and get better and get worse. And I was going to the mission counselor. He was amazing brother Jacobs. And he just helped me so much. And it came to the point where he told me that I had to decide whether or not to go home. I didn't want to decide. I wanted someone to tell me because I wanted to stay out in the field and serve the Lord like I had planned my whole high school career. And I, that was my plan for myself. And so I wanted someone else to tell me to go. Um, I didn't want to have to say it myself. and. So I really struggled with that. And it was about a week of me trying to decide. And within that week, I was just feeling very abandoned by everyone. I mean, not my family. My family was great and supportive and loving and my companion was amazing. But kind of, I felt abandoned by God in a lot of ways. Like I had been so faithful all throughout high school and I had done everything right. And I felt like I was being punished for something. Um, I now know that's not at all how it is, but I was just grasping for something and I wasn't really feeling the spirit because that also happens when you are super very depressed and anxious. And as it neared the end of my mission, it was less anxiety and more depression and panic attacks. And panic attacks were scary because I never dealt with those before. Um, But it came to a point where I, and this is a trigger warning for um, suicide, it came to a point where I really wanted to end my life and I didn't want to be there anymore. And I felt like I was stuck in this place of I either go home and feel ashamed because I didn't finish a mission or I stay out and 
am not able to really function as a missionary. And so I just wanted to take myself out of that entire situation and kind of confront God in a way and talk to him face to face and just kind of be like, hey, why, why is this happening to me? Um, but I did not attempt to end my life, thankfully, because of the help from Brother Jacobs and also love for my companion and my family members that I didn't really want to leave behind. Um, and so I kind of was able to overcome that specifically and was then faced with the decision to go home or not. And I was still struggling with suicidal ideation when I got an email from my dad one random evening and it was kind of odd. He said, guess who we just met? And I responded with who? And he said, we just met Elder Renland at the Utah Shakespeare Festival in Cedar City. And I said, oh, fun. Like, just, that's exciting. And he said, we mentioned your name. And Elder Renland took down your name and said he would take it through the temple with the 12 and the first presidency. And they do, like, every Thursday they do a session where they take names through the temple. And so that was the first not the first time, but a major time on my mission that I really felt like God hadn't abandoned me and that he was very much aware of what I was going through on the mission and was ready and willing to help me. Granted, not everyone has that. Like I am in the minority of people who are able to have their name taken down by an apostle and taken through the temple. But it came to that Thursday when my name was in the temple and I was praying all throughout the day, Heavenly Father, should I stay or should I go? And I wasn't getting any answer. In fact, I was kind of giving, getting the answer to like, wait, don't, don't ask right now. Don't ask. Um, which I thought was weird. And I woke up at 3 a.m. that morning, which I was doing a lot. I would wake up very early, which is another sign of um, anxiety and depression. But I, I woke up at 3 a.m. just with the feeling of I need to go kind of wash from my head to my toes. And I stood up and I went into our study room and searched through the scriptures through doctrine and covenant specifically to kind of find a scripture that supported that revelation. Cause I knew doctrine and covenants had lots of scriptures about missions. Um, but all the scriptures I were finding was were scriptures about staying out on your mission and like doing the Lord's work. And so I kind of ended up in an anxiety spiral. Um, but I kind of got taken, like picked up by the collar and taken out of it by something my counselor had said. And kind of the idea that if that a decision like that is taking so much out of me, that's a sign that I should go. That if, if a decision like that is going to make me feel so horrible about myself, um, and not believe myself, then it's time to take a step back and heal. And so that day I called my mission president and we had just had a mission wide, um, meeting about being finishers. And so that kind of hit me where it hurt. And I called him and I said, president Palmer and president Palmer's amazing. He and his wife are fantastic. I love them. Um, I said, President Palmer, I'm not a finisher. I need to go home. And he said, he quoted a scripture to me from Doctrine and Covenants. Is it okay if I read that? Yeah, please. Okay. 
Um, and this is exactly the scripture I'd been searching for, and I didn't know it until I read it. But it's Doctrine and Covenants 124, verse 49, which says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that when I give a commandment to any of the sons of men to do a work unto my name, and those sons of men go with all their might and with all they have to perform that work, and cease not their diligence, and their enemies come upon them and hinder them from performing that work, behold, it behooveth me to require that work no more at the hands of those sons of men, but to accept of their offerings. And he told me, the Lord very much accepts of your offerings, and you've worked incredibly hard through all of these trials, and and I agree with you that you do need to go home. And he said, in fact, I was actually just on the phone with your parents and your stake president and your bishop, and we all feel the same way. So it was lovely to get that validation of, okay, not only am I the only one that feels this, but the Lord is as well, and my all the important people in my church spheres feel that this is an important step for me. Um, so I was able to go home to Flagstaff and my stake president released me and said and instructed me to take as much time as I needed to heal and recover before I considered even what to do next. So I made a little thing that I called the October book and I, cause I was released in September and I was going to wait till October 31st to really decide what I wanted to do next. And I came to the decision that I wanted to serve more, but that I didn't want to do it in a traditional way. I wanted to go be a stake service missionary in Los Angeles, California, working at the Los Angeles temple. Now can, before we transition to the temple, can yeah. I ask you a couple questions about yes, your mission? Please. please. Um, first of all, before we went live, um, Josh volunteered just what great parents he has, what a great bishop and what a great stake president. Mm-hmm. And now you've mentioned your counselor as well as your mission leaders. And so if any of those are listening, you've done a great job. Yes, incredible. In Josh's life. And um, something that um, early in your mission as a junior companion, you're being trained mm-hmm. and often you had, you had already known the process if you have emotional health to reach out to somebody. Right. Was that part of your introductory to the mission? Did they say, okay, because sometimes... New missionaries don't even know how to access that. They don't have the senior companion as the phone. They're in a tough spot and they don't even know how to access help. But somehow you were taught how to access help and got connected with a counselor really early. Yes. So luckily, I had the mission had a little Excel spreadsheet or however it works with mission phones that had the numbers of everyone, including the mission president, the mission president's wife, the mission nurse, the counselor. So I had access to all of those numbers and I was very transparent with my companion about what I was going through and he could very much tell. Um, and so we kind of worked together to make sure that I was in communication with people that I need to be in communication with. And also the church has actually been doing quite a good job with um, like education about mental health and mental health awareness in terms of missions. Cause I am certainly not the first and I'm certainly not the last person to come home for mental health problems. And so there's a whole little pamphlet that we use that's about like where you are mentally and gives you some tips for some lower forms of mental distress. For me, it was kind of the tips weren't helping is why I needed to contact people. But they there there was a lot of resources for me to be able to reach out to people. 
And that's great. Mm-hmm. And that maybe helps missionaries that are leaving wondering if this, if some things happen that I didn't anticipate, like happened for you or the mm-hmm. resources. And I think that may take the anxiety now and to know that there's a support system in place. Certainly. Um, that you had to, that you accessed firsthand right from the beginning and it was helpful for you. Mm-hmm. I like the scripture your mission president read to you. Me too. Tell us again where that is. DNC 121. That is Doctrine and Covenants 124, verse 49. I haven't read that one recently. Yeah, I don't even remember ever reading it. Like I've read the Doctrine and Covenants, but it never stood out to me until he read it to me. So I like the wording of like, you've done all you can and there were even enemies. And so you weren't in the middle of, you know, rocket attacks in Fort Collins, at least I'm not aware of, but yeah. you were in rocket attacks Yeah, with what you were going through. And it was brutal. And when you're talking about 15 pounds of lost weight and suicide ideation and anxiety and things that you've never experienced, you know, I'm, I, it's the right thing to come home. Right. And great people come home from their missions sometimes because they're so self-aware, they know they need to get out of there. Right. And they need to take care of themselves. And this isn't about, and that to me is a great success and a great sign of um, confidence and self-awareness. So respect for you, recognizing the right thing to do was, and just having that feeling um, to go. And so that helps others that I, I think that's a really good section of your story. Yeah. Thank you very much. And I like the way you took time, Josh, and said, I'm not going to just sort of there's probably a lot of voices around you potentially and what you should do next mm-hmm. but i like the time you said i got to get grounded again before i'm deciding my next thing so now we're to the next thing yes and i do want to just emphasize that this scripture really did touch me because it's talking about the lord accepting of their offerings and yeah. it really and i've heard from leaders and i felt this myself that my mission is I served a complete mission. It was my complete mission. It was all I needed to do. And that was in God's plan for me to go through that and be there and struggle through that. And so that's my mission and it's a full mission. And so when I say that I've served a mission, I mean, I served a full mission and that's anyone who comes home for any reason, their offerings are accepted of the Lord. And that's just something important. Um, Okay. So moving on to kind of the Los Angeles temple, these two things, the Los, well, the Los Angeles Temple and my sexual identity journey happened around the same time. So I came home from my mission and I had kind of, in high school and throughout my life, I built up an identity of who I wanted to be. So I was very involved with my self-image and how I wanted to be perceived by other people. So I wanted to be perceived as like a really good member of the church and someone who is like kept to the mold and doing all the things that I need to do. And coming home from my mission kind of broke me away from that constructed self-image that I had built. And so it allowed me and freed me to explore other parts of my life that I had beaten down because of that desire to appear a certain way. Um, and. So I was kind of, I had been worried throughout my entire life about my sexual identity and like, I really didn't want to be gay. I really didn't because that would mean so many things would be more complicated and hard. So I just convinced myself 
that um, I was not gay or queer in any way. And I like to say that I didn't pray the gay way. I didn't study the gay way. I made the gay go away. And it's because I just manipulated myself into believing that I was straight. And it wasn't that I was doing it maliciously or like I was being awful to myself or others. It was just out of fear. I was very afraid to face that nuanced existence that comes from being queer and having a testimony. And so as I was healing from this whole traumatic mission experience, which it did require a lot of healing, it took, I took the rest of the year, it was about three and a half months. And I would just try and get myself to go out of the house once and like go sit in a cafe or go look at a bookstore. Like it would take just very small steps to get myself to do anything. Um, and since then it's become much easier and I've, you know, I've done trainings and I've like helped myself a lot getting out there and I hardly struggle with anxiety and depression now. Um, so there's hope (laughs) and things will get better. But at the time it was really hard and I was kind of going through this identity crisis as I realized I strayed off of the path for myself that I had made. Um, and it took me into going to Los Angeles and meeting with a therapist and working through some of those things that I realized I had always been there. Like it wasn't like I had been on my mission, started taking anti-anxiety meds and suddenly became queer because some people have told me that, that the medication did it to me or something like that. And it's simply not how it works, um, biologically or, you know, psychologically or anything like that. That's not how that works. Um, so I've been able to kind of reassess those memories that I had framed in a certain way to come into my true self and recognize who, who I really am. And it really also, during this time between my mission and going to Los Angeles, I was trying to just make myself more comfortable with the idea that I was attracted to men as well as women. And I did this by, and I, I had queer friends in high school that I had become very close to, and I considered myself an ally. And that was my first step into self-acceptance was remembering that, like, I love these people and like that internalized homophobia that I had, I had to kind of work through. And I did so by like watching like wholesome movies about queer characters, things that I would have maybe avoided because of my fears in the past. Um, and that's why I think representation in the media matters so much is because for me, someone who is just trying to figure things out, seeing characters who I could relate to, even if I didn't want to admit to everyone that I could relate to them on the screen or on the pages of a book really helped me grow comfortable with the concept that I wasn't straight. So I watched movies like Love, Simon, or most recently the show Heartstopper, if you've heard of that. It's incredible. I would suggest anyone watch it, but it's just a very sweet, wholesome story about a gay couple. And it's just that representation exists so that we can grow more comfortable with that community and feel more love for that community. And it helps people feel more love for themselves, which helped me a lot. That's a good thing. Yeah, it really is. Um And so if it's okay, I can move on to the Los Angeles temple now was I, so we'll backtrack for a second. When I realized that I wasn't straight, 
I went immediately to my bishop and I told, and I tell that to a lot of people and they go, ah, yikes, why'd you do that? Like, why'd you go to your bishop first? That seems scary. Um, but my bishop's amazing. My bishop, Bishop Exted was just a great leader and a great bishop. And um, he had been through, I mean, like he was prepared to, for that conversation because I had, I have a very good friend named Cora who I've gotten permission to kind of talk about here. But she came out before she left on her mission and she was in my ward. And so the, my bishop had been through like the conversations and was, I thank Cora a lot for the path that she kind of paved for me to be able to walk into my bishop's office and say, hi, bishop, I'm not straight. And I don't know what that means for me. And I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and he was so loving. And he gave me a blessing. And in the blessing, it said to take things a step at a time. And he told me that he felt prompted that I should tell my parents, which is another thing that a lot of people go with. Yikes. Ah, you went from telling your bishop to telling your parents right away. And yeah, so I, it was maybe a week after realizing that I told both my parents and, and I came out to them and they're also amazing. A shout out to my parents. My dad has actually written papers on, um, marriage equality and marriage rights in terms of like in relationship to religious rights. And so I knew that he would be safe to come out to. And my mom has a lot of uh, queer friends and is very just loving to everyone. So I knew they would both be very safe and I'm very privileged and very blessed to have that support system. And they, yeah, they were great when they reacted. They basically just were a little worried for my safety and for my testimony and things like that. But I was able to kind of talk through that with them across a couple of weeks before I left for Los Angeles. Um, and I was also able to tell one of my very good friends, um, Allie, I also have permission to talk about her. So um, my really good friend, Allie, who is my roommate now at Arizona State. And she was just very like, great. I love you. And this is your journey. And I'm here to support you in any way. And she's just been such a great example to me of an ally and asking questions about when she sees something online, she's like, what does this mean? And I'm able to kind of, and sometimes I don't know. And so we'll learn together and that's kind of how it should be. And so I was met with wonderful support system that really helped me feel very prepared to go to Los Angeles and work at the Los Angeles temple. That's a terrific segment. Just some comments is I love that once your mission experience changed, it sort of allowed you to explore who you are mm -hmm. and that fitting the mold and all the emotional capital you spent to fit that mold. It, it sort of allowed you then to say, okay, I'm going to figure out who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think you've done a terrific job. You have wonderful vocabulary to describe that process. Thank you. And I love the people in your life and I love you mentioning them by name. I think that's a good thing and you've got permission. Mm -hmm. I love the blessing your bishop gave you. You know, I'm reminded of a young man years ago that asked for that bishop blessing and that bishop cast out the evil gay spirit. <laughs> Yikes. And that's probably, you know, the worldview of the bishop feeling that this is something has gone awry here. And so mm -hmm. I'm going to use my priesthood authority to sort of fix that. Right. Versus where we are perhaps now as a church and more education is this is who you are. Right. This is hardwired into you. And mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a good thing. Just like being straight is a good thing. It puts you on the same moral ground with 
your straight Latter-day Saint friends. And so I love, and I love his advice then to go slow. Right. So he didn't do anything that blessing to make you straight. Right. Thankfully. Or to say that something had gone wrong or, but I love what he said to go talk to your parents mm-hmm. and to take it one step at a time and just being a safe person for you because of Cora, I think. Yeah. Um, your friend Cora and I love then your parents who have been really good supporters of you. This is just a beautiful story. I'm hearing more stories like this than I did when I first stepped in the space five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's a credit to our community for trying to understand this space better and how to support people. Yeah, I think if and, I could just... oh, sorry. And I think then you're going to the LA Temple out of... A f- not a fear-based decision, but a faith-based decision. Exactly. This is what I want to do mm-hmm. um, based on where I am and where I want to go. So you can talk more about that or anything you want to talk about. Yeah. And I think that decision was made very much on my own yeah. and with Heavenly Father's help. Because there's not a lot of people leaving from Flagstaff to go to serve in the LA Temple, I assume. No, <laughs> not a lot. And I also learned from that experience and stepping away from that mold that I created for myself and that path that I had um, kind of force myself to adhere to before is that I was taking everyone's advice and everyone's commentary with a grain of salt. Like that's how I I would tell myself, okay, this is what they said. Great. And I put that in a little box in my head and I would learn from everyone. But the only opinion that really mattered was Heavenly Father's and my own. And so even if my bishop had said something like praying the gay away, I would have not listened to that. And so I'm so eternally grateful that I was blessed with such amazing leaders that were able to kind of understand that and help me feel more prepared to go to the LA temple. And when I went to the LA temple, um, it was a great experience. I mean, I was just met with so many people that I needed to meet at the time. Um, and it was just another proof to me that God really does have his hand in the details of my life. And I met multiple queer members of the church in Los Angeles who are just so filled with faith and hope. And I, it was just amazing to be serving in the temple that my parents got sealed in. Um, It was, but it was, I was struck by the irony of it sometimes of being at the temple or sitting across from the bench that my parents got engaged on, like things like that. When I was struggling with my own romantic and sexual identity, it was, it felt a little bit juxtaposition of my past self and what I wanted. And now I'm trying to figure out what I want and who I'm going to be, but there's no better place to do that than the temple. And I learned that very quickly on my breaks. I would, I'm not going to say sneak cause I work there. So it's not really sneaking around the temple. I, just walked around the temple and um, found a ceiling room that was under the stairs in the LA temple. And it's painted all pink and it was quiet and the lights were dim. And I would go in there and I would just sit and pray for my break. We got like 15 minute break and I would just sit in there and I would just pray. And I received so much very personal, amazing revelation in that room that will be with me for the rest of my life. But Again, it was just funny to be sitting in a ceiling room and wondering, will I ever get sealed in the temple? But then feeling God's love and acknowledgement that I am exactly who I need to be and I'm exactly where I need to be and to not worry too much about the future. And I just received a lot of revelation akin to that while in the LA temple. And it wasn't without its issues. I would go home and I would need to take 
a two hour nap just because I was so spiritually exhausted because I'd be working at the temple and I'd be working through the ordinances and doing all these amazing things and constantly battling with what this means for my future and what this means for me. And it felt kind of like in the first vision when Joseph Smith just needed to take a nap after the first vision, that's, that was what it was for me is, and I didn't have anything near to the first vision, but I just felt so spiritually exhausted that I needed to take it very slow and be very nice to myself. And so that was, that was the difficult part was finding the energy to continue, not continue like working at the temple. Cause I loved to work at the temple, but continue thinking about it. And sometimes I just did need a break a couple of days where I just didn't think about it and just put it in the, on a back burner and let me just kind of go into robot mode. But, um, but it was exhausting, but it was also beautiful at the same time to be able to work in there. How long did you work at the temple and how many days a week? Um, if your full-time church work is to work in the temple, how many days a week were you there? So I worked from January 3rd to the very end of May, I think May 23rd. Of this year, 2022. Yes. And I worked three days a week because there are only three days where endowments are open for the LA temple right now. So I was working those three days, an eight and a half hour shift every day. Wow. And it was so amazing. I really do love that temple and the people that I met there in my YSA word were incredible as well. Listeners, I love what um, Josh has done with, you know, just getting him in the very best personal self he can be as he writes his own story and writing that out of faith versus fear or whatever, or what someone else's story is. I've listened to our church leaders use this vocabulary more and more. You need to be the author of your own story. Mm-hmm. And I think you're doing a great job of that. Thank and you. I love even though you don't know exactly your future and you do a good job of kind of painting the paradox of that as you're sitting in the sailing room, you are building important spiritual building blocks or that foundation that's already there. You're just strengthening. And I think you said something really important is that even if that Bishop had said, I'm going to cast out the evil gay spirit, you have enough of a self-awareness of who you are to kind of dismiss that. Right. Um, I think that's a principle of really good personal revelation is personal revelation is personal revelation. Mm-hmm. People shouldn't get between you and personal revelation. And you're right. You get advice, you get thoughts, you get counsel, you hear another story. And that can help us listeners perhaps get better personal revelation to write our own story. But I think you have a spiritual maturity to say, no, that doesn't, that's not really applicable to my situation or an informed opinion. And so I think that's a really, and listeners, Josh is 20. Um, one of the things I picked up from my queer friends is often their spiritual maturity, if that could be measured with a some meter to get a number. And I don't want to dismiss straight members that are 20, but often because life is, you've had to sort of figure out so much on your own, you've had to rely more. I, I'm careful about that language because I don't want to say, you just have to rely on personal revelation with God because all the answers aren't there and you're not fitting the, the mold and the checkbox or you can just kind of go along on autopilot. Right. Now there's, I don't want to say straight members are going along on autopilot because <laughs> life can be hard for straight members. I don't want to say that, but I've just, you're 20. Right. And you've got incredible 
um, spiritual and mental and emotional maturity. Thank you. And it's a credit to you and the people around you and just the life you're living, even though you don't quite know how that's going to work out. Mm-hmm. I think you're in a really good spot to make it work out. Thank you. So keep telling more of your story. Okay. Um, and just adding on to what you said, I think I totally agree that it's hard to be a straight member too. It is. It requires a different level of spiritual focus when your identity is seemingly indirect contradiction to what the church is saying. So that requires a lot more thought about who you are and where, why you're in the church. So I, that's a I, good point. Yeah. I do see where, yeah, I get what you're saying is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was what I was going through a lot in the temple was like, who am I and where do I fit in the church? Because my YSA word in Los Angeles was, uh, there were a lot more older members it was an older YSA word. And so I saw how like being single and straight in the church is also very hard, especially when you get up to the late twenties, early thirties, or even older than that. Like it's, it's hard to feel needed and valued to the extent that married members are, if you're single and in the church and let alone queer and in the church. And that's not even touching on like being non-binary or transgender in the church. Like there's a whole um, like lineup of individuals who can feel that kind of where they are doesn't quite fit into where people expect them to fit in in the church. And I was able to see that in Los Angeles, but see people coping with it incredibly and just existing as they know God wants them to exist. Cause that's part of why if my Bishop had said, um, I'm going to cast out the gay spirit that's not what God would want. That's not how Jesus would do it. If Jesus was on the earth, he would not point his finger at me and tell the gay spirit to get out of my body. He would sit down with me and hug me and tell me that I have so much potential. Like that's Jesus's whole thing is not to, unless you're selling things in the temple, he doesn't kick you out. So, um, so that's something that I really, was able to see in that LA ward and it prepped me for feeling ready to come out to everyone, which I did in June, early June of 2021, I think. Yeah, it was June. Um, And something that also helped me was just to add this in here because it really touched me as I saw a gay couple sitting in church. And that was something that really, I was like, this is how it should be. And I didn't know them and I didn't go up to talk to them afterwards because they were busy. But like I saw two men holding hands and like having their arms around each other in this YSA ward and no one was staring at them and no one was like, what are they doing? Like it was very, like no one cared, which is how it should be. I mean, we go to church for our own spiritual enlightenment, not to judge other people. And it just made me feel very happy to see them existing without pushback. And so that and the support from my friends in Flagstaff and my family in Flagstaff and my friends in Los Angeles really helped prepare me to write a coming out post and post that on Instagram and Facebook. And that was difficult to do, but it was exciting and fun. Yeah. And so, um, the post that I wrote, I don't think I wrote it myself. 
is what I tell people when I talk about it. Um, because I sat, I was sitting in the temple parking lot and just kind of realizing, okay, I really do want to come out. Cause it was hard for me to hold back that part of me. If I wasn't telling people like, or if people weren't aware that I was queer, it affected my mental health. Like, cause I felt like I was reverting to the younger Josh who kept within his boxes and wasn't veering off the path that he made for himself. And now I'm writing my own path and I need people to know that. Otherwise I feel like I'm, and I don't feel this way as much anymore, but at the time I felt like I was going to revert back to that like perfect like vision of what a church member should be. And so it was, it took a weight off my chest to tell people. So I really wanted to tell people um, in a way that I could just reach everyone easier. And so I've made some calls beforehand to let everyone who was closest to me know. So I did, wasn't blindsiding people and send mission, sending emails to my missionary friends who are out on their missions so that they were aware before I sent it out to the world. I didn't want anyone feeling um, like not included, which you don't have to do. I mean, everyone's coming out story is different. And if you just need to say it, just say it. Like you don't have to cater to anyone else's needs when you're coming out. This is your story and do what you needed to do. But for me, it was easier to reach out to people that I was closest to and just get all of that out of the way before I let the whole world hear about it. And some people never are in a place where they really care to let the whole world hear about it. They just will do it privately and in their own time. But for me, this felt like the next step. And so even though it was a big step, I was still taking it step at step at a time. Um, now let me just be clear on the timing before you read this. Is mm-hmm. this June of 2022, this past June? Yes, 2022. 22. Sorry, yeah. Okay. 2022. I think I said 2021 earlier. Yeah, I'm just keeping the timeline yes. clear in our minds, listeners. I'm sort of a linear analytical guy. So now back to the important stuff, though. Yes. So I came out as queer in 2022, June. Um, June 8th. And I got so much love and support personally messaged to me and also like in the comments and everything and something that I really love that I wrote. And again, I don't think it was me. I was sitting in that temple parking lot, really praying about what I should say. And it kind of, so you're in the LA temple parking lot doing your coming out post. Yes, I was. Well, I wasn't sitting in my car. I was actually out by the fountain. Oh, it's warm in LA. I forgot. I'm, yeah. It was, I'm sitting in Utah in December. I forgot it can be warm. Yes. So I was out and it was kind of windy and a little rainy because it was in the summer. And I was looking across the fountain at the bench that my parents got engaged at and was writing my coming out post on like this little rock outpost under a tree. Um, and I wrote it in 20 minutes and posted it. And I looked over it once and was like, that's fine and posted it. And I something that I really want to just kind of reemphasize is how much other queer people and like people who have been on your podcast, things like that really helped me feel comfortable to come out. And I said, um, like there are times when I feel stranded in the middle of an ocean. And that's what it feels like to be navigating spirituality and sexuality in a world where they kind of conflict with one another. Um, and I said, I just don't know how far away land is, but I know it's out there and, um, I know answers are out there, but I don't know when I get, when I will get them or what they will be. Um, 
So I've had to cling to buoys to keep me afloat. And so those wonderful people in my life or the people, the stories from your podcast were buoys to help me keep going and to give me hope to keep pushing forward and navigating this and finding my place um, in the church and in my life and with the people that I love. And so that's, that was something that really struck me and something that I've learned across my whole journey was that it's good to rely on other people. And that's why I wrote my post was so that people could reach out to me and I could be a buoy for someone else. And I have been able to, which is such a blessing and a privilege. And so that was my kind of coming out experience. And I really didn't receive a lot of like negative anything from anyone. I have an incredible ward at home. We talked about Cora earlier and she and her whole experience was, as far as I know, and I've talked to her pretty extensively about it, was very good. And she she brought a partner to church who was a woman and everyone went up to them and was like, is this your girlfriend? We're so happy to meet you. Like everyone was just so loving and kind. And it just touched my heart to know that my home ward is full of such love, regardless of where you are sexually or romantically or spiritually, like you are welcome in the Lake Mary ward in Flagstaff, Arizona. So shout out to them. Um, I did get one message that was from an old family friend and she expressed her love. And then she expressed kind of this, like God will support you if you choose this specific path, which is not correct. Um, I think personally, I think God will love and support me as long as I'm trying to do things as I'm getting personal revelation. Um, but it just kind of brought up to me the idea of like benevolent homophobia, which is something that I find really interesting that happens in the church more than we talk about a lot. And it's really important to like recognize that and know where that comes from and be patient with it. Cause it's, it's like a step up to being an ally. We're close. We're close. We're so close, but we're not quite there. And that's what like benevolent homophobia is, is kind of saying something like, we love you. We don't support you or saying like, we love you, but you're only going to be successful if you do these things. It's kind of taking support and flipping it on its head and adding caveats to that support, um, which is, I've seen something on social media recently from a church influencer that was kind of like, we should stop excusing sins for the sake of, um, oh, how did it, how did she phrase it? We should stop excusing sins for the sake of unconditional love. And to me, I was like, we shouldn't be excusing or not excusing any sins. That's not our job. Our job is to love unconditionally. That's our job. And unless someone's sin is actively hurting you, you can distance yourself and give yourself boundaries with that person. But it is not our job as human beings. Unless, of course, you are a judge in Israel and that's your job is to kind of make a judgment call about someone's worthiness or something like that. As a member of our church, it is not our job to be excusing or not excusing anyone's behavior at all, which is something that kind of dawned on me and was like with people who are expressing benevolent homophobia or outright homophobia. We need to, as queer members of the church and allies, we need to be patient with them. For me, it's very easy to get very angry very quickly. Like I want to get mad and yell at the people 
because it's clearly not what Jesus Christ would do. And, but yelling isn't also what Jesus Christ would do. That's not something Jesus would do either. So it's important to have patience and educate rather than, which is something that your podcast does is educating rather than petitioning and, um, and like aggressively defending, I think is it's better to educate and be there in love and learn and listen, um, rather than it is to. So I didn't respond to the comment that I got because I didn't think I would be able to respond in a way that was loving and patient at the time. Cause it was maybe 10 minutes after I posted and I was at a friend's house and we all kind of looked at it and just decided I shouldn't respond. And I still haven't. Um, but I think it's important to recognize like the metaphors that we use to talk about it. Like if we're like, I've had people use metaphors about like illnesses and like people can recover from illnesses or like using metaphors, like disabilities, like being blind. It's just, those are destructive things that we don't realize are destructive in the moment. Um, and so as a queer member of the church, it's kind of an, a responsibility to educate people that the things they say can hurt people. So like those metaphors, like we don't want to use those because that paints sexuality in a light that can really hurt people and can hurt people who are sick or who are, have disabilities. Like it's just not very sensitive to any community to relate to things that are completely different. So like, that's an example of, um, benevolent homophobia to me. That's a new term in my vocabulary, Josh, benevolent homophobia. And I love the way you frame that. And um, listeners, it's a tender subject because, you know, the way I frame it up in my mind as an ally is just, you know, I'll always invite my queer friends and my straight friends to follow church teachings and stay in the church. I'll always extend that invitation, but I'll also say, you know, if you self-determine a different path, I'll walk with you. And take God with you. And I won't create vocabulary that you're turning your back on God or God won't be with you. Mm -hmm. I'd want you to believe God will be with you. Mm -hmm. The God I believe in is with all of his children, such a small percenter in our church. And I think he's with those people. And I think he's with people outside of our church. And I think he'll love you. And, and if if someone's not following church teaching, it's just a factual reality <laughs> They're not following church teachings. They leave the church or in a same-sex marriage, for example. But I'll just leave that as you've invited people to. I'll just leave that at the Savior's feet to be the judge. And my job is just to love. Right. And to me, there's not a trade-off. It's not like to fully love and follow God, I need to stop kind of loving some of his children. I think sometimes we create that paradox in our brains that doesn't need to be there. Unless, as you so well pointed out, there's a boundary issue. And that behavior is destructive to you. And you've got to create a boundary. So that's that's the way I um, frame up this road. And and I don't think saying, Josh, I'll, I'll love you and let you self-determine your path. And even if you choose different paths, I don't think it's more likely you're going to leave the church if I say that. No. And say, Josh, if, if I'm your priest leader and say, Josh, if you leave the church, I'll still be your friend. Right. You can still come talk to me if I'm your, still your priest leader. Yeah, And I will walk with you and I'll just ask, how can I help you in your life? What can I do to support you versus an agenda relationship? And so that's the way I process it. And I don't think 
In fact, I don't, I don't know, but I just don't think it's going to open that door wider to someone leaving the church by saying, I'll walk with you if you choose to go that way. Mm-hmm. I think it helps them to maybe just be like your first, like your bishop said, is just take it one step at a time. It'll be a little more thoughtful and don't, don't make decisions based on the reactions of others. I like you didn't answer that message. I think that's mm-hmm. a sign of sort of emotional maturity that I don't need to engage with everybody. And I on still love subject. that person. <laughs> I do. And, and, but it's hard when someone that you love doesn't understand. Yeah. Um, but in fact, I would also like to posit that when we do say, I'll walk with you, even if you choose to distance yourself from the church, that makes them more willing to stay in the church. I would say that showing them that your love is not conditioned on their activity in the institution of the church will help them feel much more comfortable in that institution. And so I think when like people of, and I also think that that's what heavenly father would do too. And I think heavenly father understands why people leave the church. It's easy to see why people leave the church when their identity is not accommodated um, in the traditional sense in the church. And so I just, my heart goes out to people who have dealt with um, that issue of people saying that they won't support if you do distance yourself with the church, because um, something that dawned on me when I was preparing for this podcast um, was that men are that they might have joy, men and women and you know, all of God's children, regardless of gender identity or sexual identity are that they might have joy. And for someone who goes to church every Sunday and goes home and cries because they can't see their future in the church or to someone who feels they don't belong, I think God is more than understanding when they feel like for their mental health, they have to distance themselves from a church that doesn't really support them in that way. Um, But of course, it's our job as allies or queer members of the church who decide to stay in the church to keep the doors open and let them come back regardless of what they're going through. I mean, I think like, I know that there are married same sex marriages that exist, that they go to church, even though they can't partake of the sacrament or that they're technically excommunicated. Um, And that is beautiful. And I think like we should be able to attend the church regardless of where we are or what we've done. I agree with that. I've, always felt, and you've heard me say this, listeners, that I think the gate is wide at the congregation level. There shouldn't be a belief or behavior hurdle unless it's a destructive relationship situation. Right. And the narrowing of the gate occurs with the temple where there is a belief and behavior hurdle. And sometimes we take that thinking and bring it into the culture of our congregations and see that gay couple holding hands. But I think we can be mature enough to say, this is a place where everybody's welcome and even if something's uncomfortable for me, I think it's a place where we learn to be a little bit uncomfortable so that others can feel like they can worship. Christ certainly made people feel uncomfortable in his ministry in the spirit of letting people feel like they belong and are welcome. And that was uncomfortable to some people. Mm-hmm. So keep telling. I know you've got a few more bullet points here, Josh. Um, yeah. So I just, I've, throughout this experience of working at the temple, um, being on my mission, like I've noticed a lot of things as a member of the church about the church and about members of the church. Um, and in fact, I wrote an essay for an English class, um, about being a queer member of the church. And I interviewed some queer member of the church friends and it 
did, like it struck me how difficult it can be to navigate the scene. Um, and so like, but one of the biggest things that I really do want to emphasize about myself is that I, I do not know anything. Like I know I have a strong testimony of the church, um, but I don't know, like, I'm just kind of taking it, like I said, one step at a time. And there's no need for me to feel like I, I know what my future is going to look like, or I know anything about like where I'm going to be going. Like, it's okay to not, I feel like in a lot of spaces, we expect people to know what they're doing and know what they're going through. Like people who like influencers, like um, who I love, like Charlie Bird and Ben Schlatty, I think we put a lot of expectation on them to have things figured out. And when ben, when Charlie um, talked about falling in love, that's a sobering realization that and I'm sure it's difficult for him when he came to that, like, oh, people look up to me and now I'm going to be, I mean, who knows what decision he's going to make and or what decision other people are going to make or like David Archuleta, who has just recently since decided to step away from the church. What a horrible time he had just based on the things that I've read and heard about, you know, leaders of the church and members of the church and people at a concert that he sang in who complained that he was talking about his identity at a Christmas concert and that it ruined the Christmas spirit. Like just the intolerance that he struggled with of course he wanted to end his life. And so of course he needs to step away. And I think God would much rather have you alive and living than he would have you suffering and dying in a church that he's developed. Um, and there are so many wonderful things about the church, but like I said, I think God and Jesus Christ know you so intimately and so personally that whatever decision you make, they are going to understand why you made it, if that makes sense. And so that's something I noticed coming into like friendships with a lot of people. I, um, I've just been so blessed to get to know a lot of queer members of the church that their paths are distinctly theirs and God and Jesus Christ. A lot of them will do what I do and just take only God's word and God's invitations and personal revelation and just take it a step at a time their own way. And so when we look at someone else and their, their decision-making and the way that they live their lives, sorry, um, we shouldn't be making any judgments about what they're doing because chances are they're doing it the way that they see fit. And if men are that they might have joy, who are we to say, where their joy is and what path will bring them the joy that heavenly father wants for them. And of course the temple and covenants bring the most eternal peace. But if the road to those covenants is killing you, why would we expect people to stay on that road? So that's why I, that's why I had some people in my YSA word at ASU kind of, feel sad that David Archer left the church, that people might leave the church because he left the church or like he's, cause he's such a big example. Like it painted the church in a bad light, but I feel nothing but joy and hope for David Archuleta that he 
decided what he needed to decide. And that's what I hope people feel for me as I go forth making decisions. Cause I'm going to make mistakes. I put that in my post too. Um, cause my post was really a manifesto to me to allow myself to live, um, to actually live. Cause before I kept myself to how I thought I was supposed to be living and coming out was less of just telling people who I'm attracted to, but more of allowing myself to be fully me and to bring all of the messiness with it. Cause of course, like it's messy to live unapologetically and as you are and and, if, and not unapologetically, I, of course, I go through repentance processes and I, as everyone does, but for the first time, I was really allowing myself to acknowledge that it's okay to not be perfect, <laughs> that it's okay to be queer in the church and make mistakes in that sphere and like not take the sacrament sometimes or like be worried about your worthiness. Like that's such a normal thing that I was hiding from myself to avoid. And now I can accept that fully and say, I'm, I planned to come to this earth. I chose to come to this earth. I don't think I would want to spend my time on this earth pretending to be someone I'm not just so it's easier for me to live. Like I would much rather be messy and make mistakes but be myself and be able to express myself the way that I want to. Another terrific segment, Josh. I recognize that when someone does do a coming out post, I never thought of this as much that I'm a marketing guy. So I think when we say chocolate cookie, people say, what do you say next? What comes to mind? Milk. So, or something, but when someone comes out as queer, I think our, unaided question or our next question in a lot of our minds, are you going to stay in the church or not? Mm-hmm. And maybe we can mature beyond that um, and just say, let's don't make our relationship with somebody that's just come out. Are they going to stay in the church or not? You're bisexual. Are you going to date men or women? And we may have curiosity about that, but you may not know the answers to those questions. So I think our job is, I think we can do better from a pastoral and a ministering and a friendship role if we, say, Josh, what can I do to help you? How can I walk with you? How can I support you in a non-agenda, non-transactional way? And I love the way you just said, I don't know my future. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's okay. There's some anxiety with that because people want to know their future, but I think you're doing a great job of just saying, I, I'm going to have some forks in the road and I'm going to be my personal best when I come to that fork in the road. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, you know, you talk about why some people, we talked about this before we went live, and I'd love you to address this, if you will. Some people may be listening and say, Josh, you're gay. You just haven't quite gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that. And listeners, there are people that are legit bisexual that have been on the podcast. So talk about anybody that's sort of like questioning your sexual orientation and just think you're kind of not quite there yet. Yes, definitely. Um, I So when I went... Was I in? Sorry, when I was in Los Angeles, I was talking to my therapist, and he said that I should go to LA Pride, the big Pride Parade in Los Angeles, um, and kind of heal my inner child by, like, just allowing myself to go as flamboyant as I wanted to. And I put on heels, and I painted my nails, which I do now still, um, 
And I actually got interviewed on the street by just like an inter- internet guy. And the comments on the video were all, you're not bi, you're gay. There's no way that you're going to get married to a woman wearing heels. Like there's no, no woman wants that, which I mean, it was just a lot of homophobia in the comments of that post. And like what you were saying there, what you were saying before we went live, there are people who are gay who have used bisexual as a transitionary term into feeling totally comfortable with their identity. And then there are people who are legitimately bisexual and both of those are valid. And sometimes people need to use, do whatever they need to do in order to come to terms with their own sexuality. So I'm not going to say people should stop using bisexual in that way because whatever they're going to do to achieve their personal peace is important for them. However, it does make it harder for people who are legitimately bisexual. When they do say that, there's some skepticism at the very beginning, well, and throughout, just like of, oh, so you're going to end up being gay or you're going to end up being totally lesbian or totally like it. there's... But bisexuality is real and it's valid and it's not just a stop on the way to gay. It's a real place and um, and a real identity. And so um, like what you were saying earlier about there's the curiosity, of course, that always comes with um, like oh, who you're going to date or who are you going to marry? Or even with gay members of the church, like, oh, well, are you going to get into a mixed orientation marriage? What is the plan with the future? And my advice to people would be ask less questions and give more hugs. Wow. Because. What a great principle. If they are willing to share with you what their plan is, or if they want to talk about it, they'll talk to you about it. If, but as someone who is queer in the church, I don't really want to explain why I don't want to decide who I'm going to date right now to everyone who asks me. It's a, it's a deeper conversation than I want to have with everyone. However, boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries. Exactly. So that's kind of my advice is ask less questions, give more hugs. And if people want to talk to you about that, they will. Or, and you can offer yourself as a person to talk to, to say, Hey, if you ever need me, you can have me to be a listening ear. Um, and that will allow them the comfort to come to you knowing that you're not going to try and change their mind or make them feel invalid for who they love. And so, and if you are at a place where you don't agree with the way that they are doing things, then step away from trying to ask them questions and just let them exist in their space because they're going through enough as it is. It's hard when everyone's asking about what their life is going to look like in 10 years. Because before I went on my mission, actually, I wrote a 13-page poem because I love to write, but I wrote a 13-page poem about what I wanted my life to look like in 15 years. It was very specific. Um, Clearly, it was 13 pages. And when I came home from my mission and realized like, my sexuality and everything like that. I learned that whatever plan I have is not relevant because God's plan is going to take precedence. Um, And I can try to make my life fit into whatever stencil I want it to. But as long as I'm 
loving God and trusting in God, my plan will look different than I maybe than I want it to. So, so that was something I had to come to terms with. And that's when you were saying how easy it is. I mean, how interesting it is how I, I'm kind of not super attached to what the future is going to look like. That is not at all how I was even a year ago. And it's been such a release to be able to feel that clinging to the future kind of release. And I, I don't need to, I don't need to know what's going to happen in 10 years. I'm okay where I am right now. It's kind of a practice in mindfulness. I think that's great. And, you know, the other bisexual um, podcast guests I've had, you know, that's helped me sort of on this space is they've had, I mean, they've had romantic feelings to the opposite sex at times. Yeah. And that may be part of your story. Some of them have been willing to date people from, I'm not saying this is what anybody should do, but some of them, have, as their journey to understand their sexual orientation, have been willing to date people of the same sex or the opposite sex. And just as a way to self-understand who they are. And I don't give that as a blanket advice or a blanket, don't do that. I think it's just part of everybody's individual journey. And But I want to give you a cover that, and I would say, even though you dressed up like that in the pride parade, mm-hmm. that to me is different than sexual orientation. So I could still separ- separate how you uh, dressed at that parade and the sort of this the box we people wanted to put you in because you were at a pride parade and dressed like that mm-hmm. and your hardwired sexual orientation. So I'm ha- I've developed enough nuance to say I could separate those two. Right. And you are separated those two. So I just, I'm getting, trying to just give cover for bisexual Latter-day Saints for people that want to pull them out of that box. And that that's a real thing. Yeah, it is. I love this principle you said. Um, it's really powerful. You have these things that you just say, Josh, ask less questions, give more hugs. <laughs> that hug to me, the, the asking questions is really powerful, but the symbolism of giving more hugs is terrific. And that may be a literal hug, mm-hmm. but it may be a kind comment or... Um, it just may be acting on the impressions you get listeners to give someone a hug, however that looks, a grandkid, a sibling, parent, friend. Um, that's, I think, how we heal people and help people. So that was really terrific. Thank you. Um, keep sharing any more thoughts. We're kind of at the 70-minute marks. We usually wind up about this point. Yeah, I'll wrap it up for sure. Um, what we were talking about, kind of like dressing up at the Pride Parade, Um And I have about also what you were talking about earlier about like going on dates with people and like that is a very personal decision. And I personally have chosen to go on dates with people of more than one gender and people of like, just, just, I've chosen to explore dates with people, just anyone. (laughs) Um, Not that I go on tons of dates just whenever, but like I, I have been more open to that side to explore where I am romantically. Um, And I have, you know, fallen in love with women in the past and I'm so new to this, allowing myself to fall in love with um, or be attracted to men that I have not yet fallen in love with a man. But again, that bisexuality is a very individual thing and it's, it looks different for people. I mean, bisexual is there's people who are sexually attracted to 
um, more than one gender and only romantically attracted to one or emotionally attracted to a certain gender. And so it's, it's a nuanced and very specific place to each individual person, but it's a valid place and their identity matters just as much as anyone who's straight or gay. And I'd give you cover for that. Um, thanks for being open about that. I would, I would not, I think my younger self would say, well, Josh, if you're going to date guys, that's the slippery slope to leaving the church and ending up in a same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. And that may be true in some situations, but it may be, this is where it comes back to personal revelation. And I think you've, and I think if you choose to do that, it's from a position of strength. It's not a position of fear. It's not out of reaction to an experience you had that's sort of saying, okay, I'm going to show them now I'm going to go down this path. I think if you're going to do that, you should do it as, you should go slow, like your bishop said, you should do it as a position of faith, not fear. And it's, I think it can be helpful just to fully own your path going forward because you've just done due diligence. However, that looks for every person to understand their best path forward. Mm-hmm. So, and I would just say, you know, you voted for the same plan I did in the pre-existence, you know, mm-hmm. we're all this. So let's support each other in their individual journeys and right. have less fear about people choosing whatever they feel is right for them and just leave that at the Savior's feet. And it's relieving, not in charge of you. <laughs> right. I'm here to do what you've invited us to do. So that's just some of my thoughts on that space. Yeah, I think those are great. And um, yeah, I mean, for me, everything that I do is a lot of what I was doing in Los Angeles was helping like heal my younger self who was so repressed and so like hidden where I did just need to wear heels to pride and I did need to... um, go on dates with men. Um, and just to give myself that, like, it's okay. And so for some people, they will choose not to go on dates with men because they feel like that's a step to leaving the church. Or some people will choose to go on dates with men because they feel like that's allowing themselves more of that freedom. Um, but again, it's to each their own. And who am I to tell anyone that their path isn't right for them? Um, and so that's kind of where the I don't need to ask you why or who or when or where. I'm just going to love you. And if you make decisions that are not what I would make, that's you. That's not me. And I'm not in charge of anyone else but myself, Um, which I did love when you said that. And is it okay if I just wrap it up with my testimony? Love that. Okay. So my testimony over the past year and a half has been stripped to its barest bones and rebuilt into something completely different. I, when I was younger, my testimony was very related to like how the church felt to me and how well I was doing in the church. But since then I've realized that I, with my identity don't really fit into what the church expects. So I've had to have the church fit into me. Like I've had to fit the church to where I am. I'm not going to change myself to fit into the church, which has allowed me to have a very strong love for the gospel principles, the things that Jesus taught and just love. Like love is the foundation of my testimony. I just love 
Jesus Christ and how much he shows love and the atonement. I've really learned a lot about the atonement and how much it works and it works more than I think we think it does. I'm very hard on myself and I know now that Christ is ready to take my hand and take me to better places if I let him. Um, and I've, my understanding of the church is kind of separated between the church as an institution and the church as a vessel for God's love. And so sometimes I have to let the institution go and focus on the love. And I think that's a healthy way to do it um, for anyone, regardless of sexual identity or gender identity or anything like that. Um, and I felt that this church really is a vessel. And that doesn't mean that there aren't cracks or holes or that it's not totally finished, but good things come out of the church. Good people are in the church and Christ is at the head. And I do believe that. And um, I've gone through periods and continue to go through periods where I feel very not ready to share the gospel because <laughs> I'm in a place where I'm trying to figure it out for me. So I don't feel like I'm in a place where I can tell people to come join the church um, in good conscience because it's causing me and others so much hardship. Um, but that's where one of my, one of the big parts of my testimony right now is it is okay to take a spiritual break. Like it's okay to come home from the temple and take a two hour nap. It's okay to have that divine nap is kind of what I like to call it. I gave a testimony in church a couple of weeks ago that was about divine naps and how Joseph Smith needed a divine nap and how like sometimes we need to take a divine nap and um, that that's okay and God understands and that we don't need to be going, going, all the, going all the time. That's something that a lot of people teach in the church is that you need to be working all the time and it is good to work and it's great to serve, but you also need to pay attention to how you're feeling and your mental health, which is something that I learned on my mission and with my sexual identity is that you are the only you and the people that you're going to touch, you won't be able to touch unless you care about yourself first. And if, if you handle your issues and if you work through your things, that's when you'll be able to be the best instrument in God's hands. And so I have a testimony about that. Um, I also have a testimony about Jesus's relationship with us as individuals and how much he loves us individually um, and how God does as well. They know me um, and they're hyper aware of all of our situations. They are aware of the ways that we were raised, the way that we perceive things. I think something that we do too often in the church is judge people based off the way that we perceive the doctrine and the principles and things like that. When really we all are just trying to make sense of what we're given and people are going to do that in different ways. And so for me, God understands where I come from. He understands how I think about that and he understands where I'm going to be going. Um, and, and when I picture myself with Christ, like there's the primary song, like if the savior stood beside me, um, I think he would sit down and he would hold my hand and he would like give me a hug and just tell me that I'm okay, that I'm enough and that I'm loved. And he, I, and he would do that to everyone that walks the earth right now. And that I do have a testimony of, um, and your personal relationship with God is what matters and your, your love 
for others and for yourself is the foundation of the gospel. Love is and should be the foundation of the church. And sometimes we get too caught up in the business of it all and in the who's bringing bread to sacrament and we have 15 minutes till this starts and it's it gets stressful. But the real truth is in the quiet moments in the ceiling rooms under the stairs of a temple where you feel love. That's all that matters. Um, and I have a testimony. I was talking to my mom just the other day and I was worried that I had, I, I mean, I'm worried a lot if you can't tell, <laughs> but I was worried that I had, that I was making choices that were veering me away from the Lord's path for me. I, I, I said, mom, I'm ruining it. And my mom in her infinite wisdom said, Josh, you don't have that power. You don't have the power to ruin God's plan for you. And that really touched me. And it reminded me of something that I heard from a friend of your path in life is kind of like Google Maps where you put in your destination. And as long as you want that to be your destination, like if I want the celestial kingdom to be my destination, if I go with Christ, even if I make a wrong turn, it's going to recalibrate and it'll take me to that destination as long as I'm still trying to get there. If I decided I didn't want to go to the social kingdom anymore, or if I decided I didn't believe in that, then the path would change. But as long as I'm trying to get somewhere, as long as I'm trying to get where Jesus wants me, even if I take a couple wrong turns, it'll be recalibrated and it'll be okay. And then, so I believe in the flexibility of the gospel and in the love of the gospel. And that is where my testimony really comes in. And that's what allows for a space for me and for queer people and what gives me hope for future changes in culture and um, just hope for the future. And so that's kind of where I'll leave it off. Josh, it's just been a terrific podcast. Lots of golden nuggets. I love your mom. I love the relationship with you and your mom. You're talking about everything mm -hmm. and both mom and your dad and your mom understanding our theology mm -hmm. in a perfect way said that. I love your Google Maps analogy. That's terrific. No one's ever shared that. And it, I love the way you tied that with desire and a desire to get where you want to go. And even so that was terrific. Listeners, I just one of the impressions that come to mind, there's a bunch of younger queer Latter-day Saints listening um, maybe they're not out to anybody, but on behalf of them, I think you've really helped them. They may be just about ready to go to sleep. They may be at school, multitasking. They may be wherever, but I think you've helped a lot of people that are trying to come to terms with their own sexual orientation that are younger, perhaps older. And this has been a terrific podcast, maybe one of the best they've ever heard. They'd love to just jump through their mic right now and give you a hug. <laughs> Well, I would love to give them a hug too. And I want them to know that I'm here for them. And if they need anything, they can reach out to me. And on Instagram? Is that yes, the best way? Yes, on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle right now is jdyofficial. <laughs> um, and you can reach out to me. Um, I just love anyone who's trying to do their best and who's trying to navigate this situation. It's It's tough, but it's worth it. And so I just would also love to reach through the microphone and give anyone a hug who needs one. Cause I know there are countless members of the church. Everyone needs a good hug and some love. And so 
I would just, yeah, I would love to do that for people is just be a safe space. And I am a safe space for anyone who needs it. Thank you, Josh. On when I post this on Instagram, I will tag Josh in case you didn't catch that tag. So you can find Josh through my Instagram post of this podcast. And I'll put his Instagram handle in the show notes, just in case you're not on uh, my Instagram so that you can get to Josh. Um, but Josh Yard, uh, Yardley, I almost mispronounced your last name. W-O-R-D-Y. Y-O-R-D-Y, yeah. Yeah. Dyslexic a little bit. That's okay. That's yeah. Y-O-R-D-Y. Y yep. at the beginning and the Y at the end. Thank you for being on the podcast and reaching out and following of your course. impressions. And um, listeners will sign off. So thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.